Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode, Christmas episode of the Imaginary Movie Podcast, a podcast uh, where we watch a movie and then we talk about it. My name's David, and um, I'm glad your parents aren't alive to see this, Sam Thorpe. <laughs> oh, it's cutting. Uh, my name's... <laughs> What's he my done to my parents? <laughs> I spoke to them 10 minutes ago. Uh, my name's Sam, and do you want to funk, Dave? Do you want to funk? I think you do. That's right. That's the name of this song. Amazing. So this week, welcome to the 1980s. Song might giving it away. Uh, we watched a 1980s movie again because if we aren't doing a 1990s movie, you bet your ass we're doing a 1980s movie. Uh, we did 1983's uh, Trading Places. Trading um, Places. Yeah, it's a low key Christmas movie, isn't it? I think this is a very legitimate uh, Christmas movie. Oh, no, no, movie. no. This is a legitimate Christmas movie. It, it is. But it's on that line of, like, it's a movie that takes place at Christmas rather than being a movie about Christmas. It's it's a bit like trains, planes, and automobiles to kind of to, to, to list a contemporary of this movie, in yeah. that it's which is about set around Thanksgiving, obviously, and, like, it's not about that, but it's the tapestry that kind of knits it all together and, and the use of... The Christmas trees in this, and and you know, drunk debauch Santa eating a salmon on a on a, tra- <laughs> a, on a train. Oh. oh, that scene is the best. I also that's it. like four hundred quid's worth of salmon. That's so I much know. salmon. Just chowing down with the the fake beard. I love this movie. This is one of my favourite films, and you know, putting it on, I was just like, oh, this is gonna be great. Nick was watching it with me for the first time, and she really enjoyed it. And it's all great, and I'm loving it, and it's fantastic, and it's so funny, and it's got social commentary, and it's brilliant. And then this fucking train scene, what are we doing? <laughs> Which I genuinely had forgotten about. And You've repressed, repressed. It because it's the worst, most useless part of the whole movie. I, um, I, let's get to that but, part but, when but, we get to it, though. Yes. I never like to open a, a conversation by just bitching about the worst bits of the movie, except on the times when I do want to do that. Um, yeah. and this isn't one of those times your contradictions are, are 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 a part yeah try and follow that here. algorithm yeah, um yeah. i'm just trying to confuse the censors sam um who will <laughs> invariably take this episode down anyway so no one's listening um so this is also one of my favorite movies and it's probably like we talked about this a little bit um probably one of my top five most rewatched movie rewatched movies in that mm. i watch this movie probably every year or you know or so uh, more so since it comes on and off streaming services like with more regularity seemingly than anything else. Um, but this is a real this is a real classic of a movie. Uh, it's Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis uh, mm-hmm. are sort of headlining. Um, yeah. Who are? Do you know what? Actually, out of those three, I think Dan Aykroyd is number three in terms of like influential on my personal like uh, movie going experience. Um, not so because think- he's not a huge part of loads of the movies I love, but more just because he's such a weirdo. Yeah, with his crystal skull vodka and the aliens and the whole thing. Like, the, 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 there's something about, I think, that period of comedy, the SNL gang, you know, that, that did Ghostbusters and 
Coneheads. That's that's a thing, isn't it? That's a sketch that was turned into a movie, I think. Like Yeah, there's Blues all... Brothers as well. Blues Brothers. Spies fu- Like Us is another big Aykroyd movie. Have, that I've have you tried to watch Blues Brothers? Because I have, and I've got, and I've just been like, what the fuck is going on? And it, the reason it doesn't, I don't, I don't think it makes sense now is because <laughs> you need to have known the context of the time, you know, which is much more like, oh, okay, like I'm understanding it because they were doing sketches about this on the telly and, and it's it's this drawn out thing. Yeah, it requires a bit of buy-in on the on the characters because the, the idea is that Blues Brothers, this isn't a Blues Brothers podcast, but the idea of Blues, the Blues Brothers is that... Um, all the insane stuff they're doing is quite normal. Like to them, they're acting as if it's all fairly normal and usual, and yeah, it's a very low, like low key performance. Um, whereas, like you said, classic stuff. But this isn't that. No, uh, is this after the Blues Brothers? Though I think it is. I don't. I'm not sure. But what I, what I would say in as uh, you know to compare the two is this is this sense of heightened reality that I think comes from a lot of these type of movies you know the the movies that are in this universe of like 1980s comedies which i think covers quite a lot but also that kind of screwball comedy of of the 1930s 40s yeah and how you've got like um carrie grant and, and Catherine hepburn doing something funny you know bouncing off each other unrealistic situations and everything getting ranked up to 11 and so we get to like we get to take the uh the idea of whatever the movie is about and push it to its extreme and that's what i really like about trading places it's like we've got this really interesting idea about these evil fucking one percent ultra rich billionaires and they're gonna make a bet as to how they can ruin someone's life and is it nature is it nurture what's the what's the reality there yeah it's a really allegorical just, film in that way it, it is um and it's to a point. Like almost christmas christmas carolian um in terms of like the the good versus evil and and like like you said that these class films are quite a lot rarer in american cinema um i think because the class distinctions are generally yeah. a lot more vague and that's the whole thing isn't it when in americans what's the, the famous quote is that um there aren't any poor people in america there are only temporarily embarrassed millionaires because yes. the whole national ethos and I, I i'm always quoting that and i have no idea where it's from probably some shitty sitcom from 2005 but mm-hmm. like it's very true and and generally Amer- american films reflect that so it's nice to see this which is this um ivy league yaley harvardy um elite this like new york rich white um christian elite who run all of the financial institutions um and it's even quaint in the way that the the dukes the um the sort of like the antagonists of this movie the the the, the brother the single brothers in their 70s who run this um investment firm uh they go bust at the end of the movie because they lose 380 million so they're not even that rich, are they? Jeff Bezos shits three hundred and eighty million for breakfast. Yeah, but it, but it's, but it is. I think it is interesting in that, like, you've got this movie and uh, about class distinction and and like in the, it, but it, it's in the height of the eighties boom, you know, and like 
when you think about the context that this movie lives in, I think that's a really interesting, interesting kind of take. 1981, I think Reagan was elected, wasn't he? So we are full steam ahead, deregulation. We're going we're gonna to be unlocking the chains of the financial institutions and we can now bet on, on whether or not, you know, port bellies are going to go up and down and that's going to be the basis of wealth building in America for the next fucking 40 years. So there's yeah. like all of this social commentary packed into, importantly, a fucking funny movie. This is a hilarious film. This is a, such a funny movie. Like, and I think without that, we get something like maybe Brazil, if it's in Brazil, or... No. It's 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 just really fucking. Bleak, it'd be a lot more. Know? It'd be a lot more stodgy if it wasn't for the humour. The because, like you said, it, I, I think a Christmas Carol seems to speak to me as, to, as in terms of a movie that. Well, look at the Marley Brothers. Narratively, think, yeah, narratively, the Marley has Brothers a lot, are the Dukes. Have a has a lot in common, and with this, you know, with this movie, um, and the idea that you know you've got these rich, selfish, greedy. Um, quite despicable people who you know are prejudiced and um, bored, and they have the whole movie is this one that hinges on this one dollar bet where one of the brothers says it's nature versus nurture, and it's let's take this guy off the streets, this black man off the streets, and have him run our company. And I bet one of them bets he can do as good a job as the you know Harvard graduate, um, you know waspy. Uh, Winthorpe, which I th- I've never heard the name Winthorpe before, but it's perfect. Chef's Kiss. Um, played by... Um, Aykroyd. Aykroyd, Dan yeah. Aykroyd, sorry, my brain blank there. Played by Dan Aykroyd, perfectly, I would say. Yeah. Um, upsetting facts, the main cast of this movie are all young. We're all younger than we are now in this movie. Hey, but they don't have a podcast. <laughs> they don't have a what podcast. A, what podcast a bunch of fucking losers. Yeah, exactly. Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, and Jamie Lee Curtis. What losers. Um, can, so can I, can it I... all hinges on this bet, which I think is... And then and then we kind of get just the stuff going on around that. And the first, the, I'd say probably the... Most of the movie is dedicated to that. I think there's a real turning point, but most of the movie is dedicated yeah, to this. Yeah, it's about um, exploring that down. But... but before we get into, I think, maybe the, the rest of the plot, there's, I think there's also, like, the presentation of this movie is also off the charts for me. And in a lot of ways, I think the way that this movie tells a story is is almost the best thing about it. As much as you've got the social uh, commentary, as much as you've got these great characters and everything, like, the, the start of this film to, to be almost like A-B cuts between absolutely ridiculous wood panelled opulent wealth you know and like this guy won't even open a fucking won't even open his car door uh for, for himself Winthorpe and we've got the butler played by the brilliant um Denim Elliot Denim thank you you see you we see we're, we're a team we work together when I forget the main characters names you <laughs> brilliant so you get Denim Elliot, you know, he won't even open the fucking door for himself because he's such a prick. And then you contrast that to the poverty, to the, the you know, the the quote-unquote inner city um, existence of... of well, we get of this in the very opening, swathes don't we? we've got this, like, um, classical, like, bougie music playing as we have this... Um, Over the credits and... 
Yeah, yeah. That, as we have, just as we have this like cutting scenes in it's Philadelphia. It's set in. I think I said New York earlier, but it's Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia. set in. We have these scenes yeah. of like slums and you know, like a deprived neighborhoods and, and and poor people and and it's like the contrast is quite stark. And it's but again, it's kind of funny, like the because the music is it's so over the top. Like yeah. this could be Regency era London, like the music and the way these people are acting and the clubs. This could be. You know the 1830s. It's kind of wild. Um, it's the height of reality again. That's the thing I think I'm all. I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to you because it's so ridiculous in its in its presentation, but also it's dead like impactful as well. So just seeing those, just seeing the difference between one set of human beings and another set of human beings, and you know biologically we're all there. We're all we're all on the same page. But the yeah. difference is the social construct of capitalism that we exist in. I am going to go so fucking hard in in anti-capitalist rhetoric this episode. So strap in, listener. But I think but, the movie, actually, on that note, I think the movie does a really clever thing of it doesn't go really hard on that. And yes. I, and I, let me justify that. 100%. In that it's all quite plastic. This is movie land. So, yes, Winthorpe and Coleman and the Dukes are uber rich they spend all of their time at this exclusive club that they belong to playing badminton um winthorpe is having just the whitest most vanilla missionary sex with his um very upper class girlfriend in front of his butler who's making dessert um and that's because fine he, he's all very upper class he isn't a human being so it doesn't matter i don't need to yeah, show any restraint it, in front of him it doesn't bear a lot of connection to reality because again these are caricatures but the same goes for eddie murphy and all of the you know quote unquote poor people in this movie again we're kind of going for broad strokes stereotypes you know there's a lot of grubby urchins about and again the movie isn't interested in diving into like the actual true horror of inner city life in the 1980s for black americans um because I think that would detract from how funny the movie is. Yeah, 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 and and that's the thing, isn't it? It, it is a comedy. So and I think both both sides, and it's and the biggest thing is obviously Jamie Lee Curtis's character is a, you know, the prototypical hooker with a heart of gold. And again, it's kind of like we keep getting told that she's a sex worker, and we meet a John. But it's fine. It's okay. We're still in movie land. It's all right. You don't need to confront the reality of this woman being a sex worker because, as she said, you know, she needs that's the only way she can make money. And again, we don't need in this, this comedy movie, I don't think we need to like solve prostitution. And, it, and the movie cleverly says, this is a fact. It's something we know about this character. But actually, yeah. actually, very few of the characters in this movie treat this woman like she's a sex worker, which I think is great for the movie, not so great for like the social commentary for act aspect of it. Yeah, it's kind of ignoring like why, like what's her situation? She's got she's got a a multi bedroom apartment, you know, in and can buy groceries and can pick up this guy and complete. So yes, the film isn't going there probably for the benefit of the movie and the overall story, but. I think so much of it is like inferred though and it depends on probably on your political persuasion and spoiler alert 
we aren't right wing fucking lunatics. So, you know, that's where we're coming from yes. is definitely that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give us lots of money and a platform like Joe Rogan and we'll turn into him. I will oh, shave my head. If anything, Sam, I'm poorer than I was this time last year. So I think I'm going the opposite direction. Oh, okay. Well, well, but I'm saying, you know. I'll listener. keep you grounded. I, my, I, my poverty will keep us both grounded. Well, actually, I was I was thinking about that because we both come from, I think, humble roots is how it would uh, that's what my autobiography will read yeah humble roots and i think so for me for me i do see like as i have kind of got work and whatever else you know that kind of slow climb towards the middle classes and my kids are going to grow up very kind of comfortable and not have to really yeah, spitting worry. on service people and staring at restaurants exactly yeah exactly yeah just like a good Etonian lad <laughs> and, and and that's the thing is like this movie I think speaks to a lot of how especially uh, rich ultra rich people but even middle class people view poverty and they view poor people and how like it's it's it can be really insidious Sometimes it could be really insidious in terms of how the perception of you being. You come across it. This is now the fucking social commentary podcast. We'll you keep this to only forty time. minutes, listener. I promise. Yeah. You come across it all the time, like just in like random life. You'd be chatting to somebody, and it's this. Um, it's the biggest lie ever sold is that people are poor and it's their own fault. <laughs> and a lot of people, a lot of usually middle class people, believe that. Even people who aren't. You don't own their own ha- homes and don't have loads of money. They believe that the poor, that people who are poor, are that way because of their own, because they're lazy, Feckless. or because they're yeah. stupid, or because they frittered their money away. And I think there's a real lack of understanding about um, about that, and it's really easy to think that. And this movie again, I think, let's try and move away from that touch because I don't well, think this to, movie to, to bring it to this movie though, to bring it to this movie directly on your point is that that's the journey that the characters go on and like Aykroyd goes from get off me you filthy beggar that man's trying to steal my 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 uh, briefcase to him eventually empathizing and understanding because he's living the experience because his life has been destroyed that at the poverty isn't a choice and that people aren't just fucking lazy and the entrenched social conditions is what creates these problems and we also get to see the opposite don't we because um valentine uh, uh murphy eddie murphy's character he says that man should well you know i i know i know what it's like i know what it's like to be randomly picked and given loads of money because he didn't he didn't escape it through any of his own work you know he was just the, he won the lottery basically and he yeah. becomes the very thing that uh dan Aykroyd's character was so i think the movie is like it does have yeah. a lot of intentionality but, but it's all in it's all in, i think a lot of it's not in service to the comedy but it's secondary exactly um, what i was going to say yeah so let's talk about the movie on yeah. let's talk about i think let's talk about winthorpe and and how because i really enjoy this it's the best part of the movie is how we destroy this guy's life because we meet him and he's quite detestable He's a he's such a prick, and I love Ak- I love Ak- Oh my god, Dan Ak- he does it really well. Um, it's perfect, isn't it? The way the, the way that he his gait, the way he holds himself, and the way that he talks to uh, Denim Elliot, the way that he just 
waltzes around you know like this guy's fucking acting and i love it because it's so broad yeah and it works but he's a prick and it kind of like so the movie's clever in that he's detestable to everyone nobody likes mm-hmm. him like he makes a lot of money at work so his bosses kind of like they like that but they don't like him and all of his fr- friends they don't like him because it's like this competition thing where they're both competing for this heiress his girlfriend this heiress i think um so that's all very competitive and so all the dukes have to do is stage a weirdly theatrical um sting <laughs> um sting in 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 the club in front of 48 90 year olds um with these marked dollar bills and i was like oh marked and then he flips it over and there's just a big red x on it and i was like mm. and then have him arrested right plant drugs in his pocket so that the police think he's a drug dealer and i mean all of this is just money is greasing all of these wheels because the police do not work this quickly so he's arrested released on bail um all of his accounts are frozen they more or less just change the locks on his house uh which is conveniently owned by the business and the butlers employed but i mean that's how the rich stay rich by the way don't pay for anything yourself um and it's kind of magical, and then the 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 coup de gras is um, Jamie Lee Curtis is paid by um, Clarence Beeks. Clarence Beeks, yeah. who is the he's the he's the teacher from the Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He's, um, he's, this yeah, is a great actor in the 1980s. Great shouty actor. Um, Gleason is a great shouty actor um, who pays Jamie Lee Curtis to go and kiss him and pretend he's a pimp, basically, to, a, to alienate his girlfriend, the last person who might have helped him. Yeah. Um, and all of that is chef's kiss perfection. So you've got Dan Aykroyd with a black eye, messed up greasy hair in this like, like leather well, parka almost. Well, when, yeah, when he comes when he comes out because of his clothes the, have gone missing. Yeah, when he comes out of the jail and his his uh, his girlfriend's there, and like I I I just think it's such a great performance, especially from. Um, from his girlfriend, whose name is I can't find it. You have you find his Kristen name. Kristen Holby. She Thank plays you. Penelope. Yeah, and Penelope is 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 this character who is almost as um, uh, 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 almost worse, almost more detestable than he is because she's supposed to be marrying him. They're going to have children. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful, darling. Wonderful. And to have a wonderful life. Yes, and she's willing to drop that, and she is she is shamed and embarrassed because he doesn't look. He's not dressed smart, smartly dressed. He's got a black. Importantly, hat. because I don't think the film. No, apparently, according to Wikipedia, she's the grandniece of the dukes. Right. Yes. So yeah. that explains more why again, she's a baddie, and so she's only really interested in him because. He's got a good job and he's very upper class and he has these again we have all these nice things and we are nice people and we're gonna have a night like and, a wonderful life and and you know what that's my experience of wealthy people as well is that they're fucking shallow and actually the existence and, and the happiness does not extend i mean give me beyond. some money i'll see how sh- we'll see how shallow i can get yeah where's where's our social experiment dave but i, I will mean, never honestly, have I will never have the nonchalance about being rich that these people have. Even if I became a billionaire tomorrow, I would never develop that, um, again, like that dismissiveness where you think of your butler as 
so much as a thing that you own that you know you're groping your fiance and being like no no you have that dog you're a you're out yeah like and it's 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 just it's wonderful wonderfully presented and it Um, is a big and it is broad and it is a caricature but that like i think all of the way through the movie we get to see how winthorpe uh, dan Dan aqua's character becomes so detached from the world that he lived in and actually he almost like he almost like takes on the conditions that people who are actually living this life struggling with poverty or whatever else like hey you know what if you've been in jail all night and you don't have any money and you won't you can't get in your house it's going to be pretty fucking stressful and you know what that's going to do to you it's going to make you not make rational choices it's going to it's going to damage your mental health and you're not going to be the measured nice and and also he's even less equipped for real life than most poor people yeah because he doesn't have because jamie lee curtis is out there making money however she can and dan Aykroyd, he doesn't have any of the skills to go out and get a job he can't go out and even get a job at mcdonald's like that's the whole hands. thing is he's useless. He knows how to do one thing, and that is brown nosing and signing checks. Yeah, and it and it's and it's a real. I think it's, it, yeah, it's a really funny kind of portrayal. I I do think that um, you know it's a nineteen eighties movie, and there's lots of other nineteen eighties things that we'll get to. But like, I do I do think Curtis's character, in comparison to Aykroyd's, is quite empowered like she's in charge of her situation even though she's a prostitute and obviously like that the social the, the sexual politics of that is all complex but she's like in charge of what she's doing and she's also willing and able to like look after and and support Ackroyd as the movie progresses and it becomes a bit more of a caper like that all kind of equals out a little bit well there's a big speech isn't there and it's an important one which is She's got like 70 grand in the bank or something and she's done the maths and she's figured out that, you know, what she say? Like, it's a great line and great, really well delivered. Like another five, another another two years on my back and that's it. Like I can yeah. go and make a start somewhere else and not have to worry about money. You know, she can go and buy a house and start her own business doing whatever and get out. And, and so it's all phrased as... I think part of that is the movie being like, oh, she's a prostitute, but she's not one of those bad prostitutes. Yes. Um, well, the heart of the whole is, thing is, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and part of it is obviously to kind of set up the the cutthroat um, financial decision she's making because the her helping Winthorpe Thorpe is initially like a, it's a financial decision. She says, I'm going to feed him for a few weeks and then potentially he's going to get all of his stuff back and pay me off is the whole thing until they develop a, a rapport and a relationship between the two of them yeah yeah no it's a fun it's a it's a fun I, it's a really fun kind of like dynamic between the two and how they um, how they really I think the movie after it progresses and let's talk about Eddie Murphy's meteoric rise in a second but like how we how, how we progress Aykroyd's character I think it's great because it means that we go from really really hating this guy and thinking he's despicable and then ending up at a position of because of his actions because of actually he has had to work and he's had to rely on the 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 impoverished prostitute 
character, like that means that he kind of redeems himself, you know, and we get to a point where you think, okay, maybe you're not a bad guy. And that's about the performance as well, but it's also about giving that character like a really nice arc. Like he learns something. He learns a lesson, just yeah. like your Christmas Carol example, you know? Exactly. And and it's funny how we do it. And uh, we will get to Eddie Murphy in a second. Um, but like the, the dressing as the Santa thing and he's drunk and he goes to like this desperate plan to frame Eddie Murphy as a drug dealer so that he can get his job back because again, he can't, it never crosses his mind that this has been done to him on purpose, which I find is the perfect like topping to this whole plot is that it never crosses Winthorpe's mind that somebody is, is, has framed him for this on purpose and that is probably his boss. Oh, well he does, but he thinks it's that he thinks it's Eddie Murphy's character, doesn't he? He thinks he's done it. He doesn't. He he could. Ne- he never thinks for a second that it could possibly be one of his people who could have done this to him. Exactly. You know? So, um, Eddie Murphy, as usual. Uh, this is kind of like was this um, his second, second movie? movie? Uh, Forty Hours in nineteen eighty two. Then Trading Places. Then Beverly Hills Cop in eighty four. This man fucking worked in the eighties. Holy yeah. shit! And then he's skated ever since. Well, <laughs> well, he did. He did Golden Child. Um, Beverly Hills 2, Coming to America, Harlem Nights, and then another 40 hours. Um, it all goes kind of downhill from there. But like generally, I think uh, Eddie Murphy is a uh, magnetic... Like, he's really great he's in such that, an attractive um, char- character actor, isn't he? He's he great in that so tradition of stand-up comedians where he's really funny. Eddie Murphy is, well... For a while there, he wasn't, and we're now. He's a bit out. of a dick in, the in 80s, real life, but yeah. yeah. Eddie Murphy was really funny and like young, attractive, like clever, funny, and and a, and a good actor generally. I would say that he maybe not so much in this movie. I think his range is fairly limited. But like Beverly Hills Cop, for instance, he plays both ends of the spectrum quite well. Um, so he comes into movies. He's I think he'd been on SNL and he'd been like a TV like stand up and things yeah the comedy um, and he comes into this as like a and we get all of it we get eddie murphy playing it straight we get upper class like tough eddie murphy we get mad sketch comedy eddie murphy like when he's begging at the very beginning of the movie it's, on the it's that's so like broad that's fast talking we get this in beverly hills cop as well that's the fast talking like jabbering eddie murphy it's hey, really man. broad yeah, it's like... really stupid Hey man, get back! What are you talking about? That was my brother. That wasn't me. Like it's it's ridiculous, and I think I think again, it sets the tone. It sets the tone for for, for us watching the movie, going like we've we've had this classical music, and then we've had this kind of contrast between uh, you know, the rich and the poor, and we've had Winthorpe, and then we bring in uh, Murphy. Who is like the the roughest of rough, isn't he? He's 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 a loser. Swearing, he's he's like absolutely the lowest of the low. You could say in terms of the the social hierarchy this movie's presenting. He's begging, which is a big thing, and like how again how Ackroyd's clan view that is is very important. But I think like I I, I love how I love how it progresses. I do think it's a little bit uneven. I think. Like he goes from being 
really, really rough and obviously had a difficult life and maybe not that educated and all these things, all these presumptions that you're supposed to make about the character to he's really good at commodity trading all of a sudden. Well, I think this was fine because... It is fine. Honestly, commodities trading is stupid and made up and, well, shocking, it is gambling and he understands gambling. So he even says to them, he says, you're all a bunch of bookies. And he goes... And he's like, oh, yeah, of course, it's gambling. Gambling's easy. Um, and so from that point of view, I kind of get it's good. It makes sense that, like, this story wouldn't work so much if he was... Um, what's a hoity-toity? If it was a law firm, like, it wouldn't work as well because that requires yeah. a level of knowledge that you don't have. But he could be a banker. Like no. he could be a different kind of investment banker, and, and that would be fine because you don't need to know anything. Then it's all just fucking like maths. They they, they nearly so I was reading some of the trivia, and they they basically they they were going to do like gold and silver trading, and I think it's like th- this idea is based on um, the Silver Thursday, which happened in 1980, where they tried to corner the silver market, and so there was a panic and all this stuff. But the filmmakers very, very wisely chose commodities, chose pork bellies and orange juice because, number one, they didn't think it was funnier, but they didn't think people would know that that's a thing that's being traded. You know, they, Not that this is a new thing, but, like, the deregulation of this is very, very new in the 80s. It's so, not sexy, is it, though? That's the important thing. It's, it's like, ridiculous. If it was gold, suddenly it's, oh, my God, are we watching Die Hard 2? Um, you, you understand the motivation. Because it's frozen orange juice, it's like, well, you could, and, and the, the, so Clarence Beekman stealing the, the government report, it's like, well, this couldn't be less interesting. And it's there's the loads lowest. of money in it, obviously, but it's like, yeah. who could care? Who could care about frozen orange juice? But, 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 that, but that's the thing, that's, and that's why commodity trading is so fucking mental, is because you can make money, you don't produce anything. You know, you're not producing a single thing, you're literally betting on whether or not the price in March will be this price or this price, high or low, and you get paid depending on that. And like it's, I've, I've, I've since we've done like, as you've so uh, accurately claimed, Sam economics movies. I've always got into that lane because I'm not, I don't want to be in this world because I'm not a fucking evil capitalist. But I'm fascinated by like the human construct that we've created, where we think, fucking great, this is brilliant. We're going to base an entire economy service economy on this shit it's all a house it's all a house of cards i think this movie points it out quite well yeah and the whole insider trading angle is fascinating um i mean let's again let's maybe circle back to eddie murphy and we can talk about the insider trading after we get the train scene out of the way but let's talk about eddie murphy just for a second yeah could we do eddie murphy then could we do the brothers and then we can do the train scene and then we're gonna have to yeah Add an extra four hours because I've got so much to say about all this. But let, yeah. let's finish off Eddie Murphy because um, I spe- well, I, I've I've got a- I like I think Eddie Murphy's got the better arc in this movie. I will say I think it's almost yeah. Number one, um, I think he gains a lot more in this movie when Thorpe kind of um, becomes a better person. But um, Eddie Murphy, <laughs> there's like, no price on that. <laughs> he's no longer begging in the park, you know. Yeah. So no, but there is a price on that. Is what I'm saying. There's no price yeah, on yeah, becoming yeah. a better person. There yeah. is a price on. Not being I, not I, being afraid, you're going to starve to death in the streets of Philadelphia. I, I have to say though, I do think the movie kind of biffs it. Like the moral message 
is very, very strong at the start. Like, it's very strong when we're seeing poverty versus opulence. And we're, Like, the movie is fucking laying it down thick and being very clear about what it's trying to say. But the end of the movie is these two poor people and Winthorpe are now rich. And cheers to that. And you're yeah. like, hold on a second. Hold the American on. Dream. It's an American movie, Sam, and you can't I get know, away from that. I know, it's but, that I, but everyone it, wants to be rich. But 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 it's more. It's more the thing, and it's a, it was the same with previous episode. Uh, the pursuit of happiness is like pursuit of happiness. Happiness. It's like okay, great. You did it. You achieved it. Well done. You're no longer poor. But what about the fucking rest of us? What about the entrenched? systematic poverty that we need to deal with and it's like that's the only thing that i would like to see is is this movie kind of going brilliant war these two people managed to escape because of this crazy situation but what about the what are we going to do about the rest of it and obviously that's a lot to ask from a 1982 movie but the moral message i don't think is quite as clear towards the end and no i don't uh, think it's clear at all i think you're absolutely right and it's kind of like you said it's the big flaw of it's 1983, and I think people recognised that Eddie Murphy was a star. I think that's that's absolutely true. But at the same time, I don't think that America, the American film industry was ever totally, and this is going to sound, was ever totally comfortable with the fact that he wasn't white. And and so it's part of the reason in this movie where why I think Winthorpe still remains kind of like the lead, even though you could have expanded more on Eddie Murphy's background and, and kind of maybe fleshed out the character a bit more um but ultimately it's 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 about getting these attractive white people together you know those crazy kids they they did it um yeah it, it does with eddie I, murphy is more of a second lead certainly and more of a he's a lot more passive in um the middle portion of this movie once he's got winthorpe's job obviously we have the um him finding the drugs at Winthorpe's plant near his desk and the, the the whole attempted murder thing. We have all of that, but it's it's Eddie Murphy being very he's being Winthorpe. He's being very prim and proper and upstanding well, and it Well this is it, the again, best. Again it, it? it kind of feels like the the movies diverge from he's been rich for three weeks or like even less. Yeah. Like relaxed. It's fine. And he, and he already is knows this how, how to use a, a fish. Is fork? this how he would react yeah. to someone threatening him with a gun, really? Yeah, but that but that's that comes down to the bet, isn't it? Which we mentioned, and, and and these the Duke brothers, I think great performances by both of them, and intentionally. And I was saying this as I was watching it. I'm not just parroting from Wikipedia, but I was like, these are proper fucking 1930s, 40s actors, and of course they are. And like you get a sense of, I think the type of film that they were emulating, and. It's brilliant to see these these kind of seasoned actors from a, a, a previous film generation. They're great, bringing... and they are proper scumbags. And so certainly, I, I remember I was reading the trivia, and apparently, it was like they knew nothing about Dan Aykroyd or Eddie Murphy because they're older sin. And One of Dan them Aykroyd didn't even Eddie have Murphy an agent. Knew, knew nothing about them because, yeah. like, it's just worlds apart. And I love this this kind of worlds colliding. And you get it in in movies all the time where you have these like aged character actors 
Um, and then the new up and coming stars, and there's this huge gulf between them. There must be 40 years of age difference. What's, 50 what's years. Mickey Rooney doing these days? Get him in! Brilliant! Hi, Mickey! You know, like, this is, this is a, this is an, in, the internet. Here you go, enjoy. This movie's about how we make drugs yeah. on the internet now. And Mickey Rooney's like, great, brilliant. Like, like, but totally. they're just fun because they're quite cartoonishly evil. And I think the movie does a really good job of. So not only do they treat Eddie Murphy like a child, um, there's a real racial element to it, which we get later on with, you know, one of them, Mortimer, I think, is the, the more evil brother, is he? Yeah, yeah. Mortimer the, yeah, and Randolph, like is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and Randolph's like the kindly, and but the, the scene where they're explaining to Eddie Murphy about commodity trading, and it's like, honestly, it's like they're like, it's a scam. It's a scam. It's, oh, sorry. It's a scam. No, why do I keep but saying they, that? They also treat him like absolute shit, and it's actually this is my this is one of my favorite moments of the movie. Where, where Eddie Murphy spikes the camera, looks. At, <laughs> it's like a. It's like a. It's the bacon that you might have in your bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, and he just and I just like fucking. And you know what that is? Obviously, they did this many times. That is a perfect editing choice that is seeing that in the edit and going look i know i know that we're not doing this in this movie i know we're not breaking the fourth wall but we are going to do that because that is perfect eddie murphy like but it's just exactly but it's exactly and it feels like a really collaborative thing i love it where eddie murphy probably said like probably did that look at the direct you know like as he was doing that eddie murphy would be like are you joking and they were like actually yes Let's put because, that in the movie. Because, you know, t- to dive into these brothers, these brothers are old racist white guys who are so rich white guys, old racist rich white guys who are so fucking detached from reality that they almost in like a eugenic, like you imagine these guys being eugenicists, you know, like uh, like a uh, Anne Rand and uh, Andrew Ryan from Bioshock type of character who are, so fucking evil. The portrayal's great. The characterization of that evilness is brilliant. And then, like, the movies also knows that we have to destroy these people. We have to destroy them. That must be the end of the movie. And then, yeah, and they kind of have that similar thing to Winthrop, which comes back later on um, when we talk about the ending, uh, where they're despicable and nobody likes them. Um, and you kind of get that from the way that they're treated by other characters who are kind of servile, but also kind of, yeah. even Murphy to an extent, like servile, but also a bit like, you are such a fucking old white racist. What are you doing? A um, couple, exa- couple of examples of their absolute depravity. They've got a, they've got black and white photos of uh, Reagan and Nixon on their desk. <laughs> they They sit down. They have a chair in their lift, in their elevator. Uh, which I just think is a sign of like that's fucking that's proper hoity-toity bullshit, isn't it? You know, like these people are just. And then obviously you've mentioned already, but they when they're exchanging the dollar in the toilet, and one of them uses the N word, and you're like, "Yep, that is the point where you're like, if these guys don't get executed at the end of the movie, and it's I'm the going resolution, and it's the resolution which I think is even is as bad is." He says he doesn't want Eddie Murphy running his company because he's black, right? And you've seen the movie, you know what the line is, I'm not going to repeat it here. (laughs) And that's horrible. That's disgusting because even though um, Randolph is like, oh, but they've made, he's made us loads of money. And he says, no. And they say, so what, we're going to get Winthorpe back in? He's like, 
Oh no! Did you see how disgusting he looked as a poor yeah. person? It's like no, fuck him. We've ruined his life. But I, yeah. but and it, so it's not even that resolution of things are going to go back to normal and we're going to make it right with this guy, or you know, give him a chance. It's like no, fuck him, because he tries to kill himself in the bath ten minutes after this scene. Yeah. Um, and that kind Dressed of like crystallizes, ha- yeah, kind of crystal the Santa outfit is fantastic. Kind of crystallizes how evil they are. Um, but in that really run of the mill, like they're not torturing children or anything. They just they're so rich that they think the rules don't apply to them, like the rules of society. And this yeah. is the problem with rich people, oh. or sorry, the ultra wealthy, is that the rules kind of don't apply to them. The rules of society don't apply to them because they've got their money to buy their way out of any problem. We how many countries the... could yeah. the five big richest billionaires in the world? pay off like entire countries there's probably only five or six who wouldn't be swayed by that sheer like amount of wealth and 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 you know just fucking think about the social problems that these cunts sorry these these fucking people could resolve 44 billion dollars elon Musk paid to buy twitter think what you could do that's like a third of the nhs budget every year Think what you could do with that. Think of the poverty that you could alleviate. And 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 you know what? It's like we didn't learn the lesson of 1982's trading places because we just kept fucking funneling greed is good and all this stuff into into these these vapid fucking empty human beings who have nothing to contribute to society, you know. And I just think, oh my god! Like, please, can we? Like, if this move in the eighties can figure it out, why aren't we executing these people? I mean, that's my question. Yeah. Why aren't we lining them up and executing them and taking their assets and giving it to the poor? Thank you very much. That's the end of the episode. See you next week. Just to be clear, I agree totally, but I'm very against just unilaterally executing anyone. So oh yeah! Oh no, no, no! Sorry, sorry. You're absolutely right. We will have mock trials. We will have fake. Tri- we'll have trials. No, straight to jail. Straight to jail. No, because then we've got to house them, and this is the same argument they have about. De- then death we penalty. should, because they've broken the law, and that society's burden to then deprive them of their liberty because it's, it's fucking gone. immoral as shit to kill them. We're too far gone. It's revolution or nothing. All right. That's anyway, let's talk. On let's, to the let's, next bit. I want to talk about the train scene. And Let's then we can also talk about, talk about something so objectionable that is in this movie. <laughs> Let's do it. Obviously, the whole train scene bit is gonna be is gonna be the blackface. So, so I was no, gonna no, no. bait and switch you and say something else was despicable. So uh, the, the whole train and we can the blackface thing can be a part of this this absolute mess. So all of this praise we've heaped on this movie. I fucking love this movie. It's great. Anti capitalism. Blah blah blah. And then we just stop dead. We stop dead in a way that I cannot think of a more incongruous, I cannot think of a worst, a worse fit of this scene in this, in this movie. Like, what the fuck is going on? What are we doing here? That is my question. Dave, what are we doing? Tell me, what's happening in this? This is an place? SNL sketch. This is an SNL sketch. It's this is the Dan Aykroyd thing. We've got John Belu- Jim Belushi in here. Great. In the blue <laughs> outfit. We've got these two like um, porters and that go I'm nowhere sure, and do nothing. I'm sure on the SNL this is a hilarious sketch about a New Year's Eve party, but 
the whole thing, like, I understand the actual core mechanics of they've got this scheme to steal these documents from Clarence Beaks because they've figured out what the Mortimers, uh, what the Dukes are doing. And they figured out that they're, they're getting inside information. Uh, by the way, totally legal. Um, nobody broke the law in this movie, or except, yeah. you know, the guerrilla rape. That's Fuckers. probably illegal. That probably breaks a few federal laws. Um, but they're going to steal the doc. They're going to, sorry, they're going to, they want to swap um, the briefcase with the with the document in it. They take it to the bathroom so they can replace the documents inside with a, with a doctored report, right? And then the whole movie would play out in the same way. But there's this weird scheme where they're all wearing, they're all doing accents. All of these characters, um, so Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis and Denim Elliott are dressed as costumes. But accents, but blackface, but unnecessary bits, but this is terrible. This is terrible. And the the only thing they need to do is swap the briefcase, and they also need to dispose of Clarence somehow. And we've got so, and but I don't know why they couldn't use Jamie Lee Curtis in a, a, a different wig, and then maybe he rec- recognizes her anyway, and that's what breaks it up. But have it take place in a train station or in a coffee shop, or like a hotel room because she seduced him or something, and you have Denim Elliot like, and then. You know, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd are in the other bedroom with like spy gear. You know, something. But Nicholas said the whole Nicholas. New Year's party on the train is—it's just too much, and there's too much going on. And the gorilla is offensive. It's—it's it's funny if it was in a different movie, but it's so incongruous with the tone of this movie that they duct tape up Paul Gleason and dress him in a gorilla costume. And then a silverback rapes him all the way wherever this big ocean ship's going. Back to Africa. Isn't that hilarious, say. Sam? Isn't that the they funniest shit you've Africa. ever heard? And you're just like, well... You know, honestly, I, it, so I was watching this with, with my wife and she was like, don't you hate it when a movie just ruins itself? I was like, yes. But hold on, because it gets better. But Because like this bit is terrible. It's terrible, it's awful, and I really, really hate it. And and worst of all, other than how you dispose of Clarence Beaks, which I think could be literally in the parking lot at the end where they, you know, when Eddie Murphy exchanges the documents, they just fucking grab him and beat him up and then knock him out and put him on a on a bus to Utah or something, anything, do anything else, anything else. Your movie's nearly two hours long. You could cut out 15 minutes, 10 minutes of this of this sequence and we could be left with a fuck you, you're going to get your comeuppance, Clarence Beaks, for being evil, and or we're going to post something in the newspaper, we do something anyway. Why and don't you we... have, here's a fix, here's a fix, Sam. Why don't you have Eddie Murphy say, oh, what are we going to do with Clarence Beaks? Say there's like two or three days between um, the, the the opening of trading and them getting this report, or even just a day, and say, so we need to kidnap him and put him somewhere and all of a sudden they've got him and they've knocked him out and they're like, oh, what are we going to do with him? And they call the big black guys they met earlier and they're like... Perfect. And then it's them in a room and he's oceans, and you can see Paul Gleason screaming style. and shouting and effing yeah. and blinding at them and the big guy just going, yeah, or whatever. Because that was funny. Like, those are funny characters. Let's bring them back. 
and then we just cut away and that's that's where he is you know job done i don't want to talk about it because um, I, I i find it so no i find it so, so let's talk about the ending because ending. um i had to google this again like because in because commodities trading is so complicated because it's so made up um so to lay it out for you and for me and for all the kiddies at home um commodities trading is a big scam i mean sorry i keep saying that because that's what it is um commodities trading as it happens in this movie is basically the idea that in january or december or whenever it is sorry in in in, at new year i could make an agreement as 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 a person who's selling oranges I have a contract with someone who buys oranges to turn it into orange juice, right? Yeah. Now, I've already agreed the price that I'm going to get for my oranges, right? Well in advance because I'm running a business and I need to know that information. The company buying the oranges from me, they're gambling by agreeing with me to pay me a dollar. Yeah, just to keep it simple. Yeah. A dollar, right, per gross of oranges, right? They're agreeing to pay me that on the basis that they'll get a lot more for them. I'm happy with that because it saves me keeping hold of the oranges and spoilers and all that. I don't want to overcomplicate this, but this is the problem with with, with commodities trading. And essentially, it's that promise to pay in a certain point in future. And then people gamble on that deal. So they will say, I will buy these futures, these orange futures from this company. They have agreed to pay the farmer a dollar. I'll give them... I'll say I'll give them a dollar fifty because I think that in February these oranges are going to be worth two dollars. So the guy who's bought them for a dollar, he takes my one fifty again because he then he knows he's making a profit and he thinks better the bird in hand and that's the whole process. And then people gamble further on that. Yes, and can I can I further simplify? By saying these people are parasites, and I and, and, and I'm obviously big, dramatic, and left wing, but like genuinely, they contribute nothing. There is no production. They are not doing anything other than saying, "I might give you a bit more, or I might give you a bit less," and someone has to make up the difference, which is what the it's, movie. It's kind the of, exact it, same problem. It's the exact same issue in the um, the Big Short in the in the two thousand and eight housing crash. Which which it's it, the exact same issue. It's people the gambling CDOs, on yeah. the gamble. It's people gambling on the gamblers, and it's the most degenerate the shit you can you can possibly imagine. They're, they're gambling in, in in the Big Short. They're gambling on the gamblers, on the gamblers, on the gamblers, on the gamblers, on the gamblers. Like we are down the fucking chain where they are packaging up all of these horrible, yeah, these bad debts. And, and that's, packaging that's what up. I mean by it's all a scam because it's, it's all so made up so that all these people can make imaginary money, create wealth off nothing. And and all the time... It's circles within circles. All the time, people need fucking houses and they need orange juice and they need pork bellies. You know, like, yeah. like this is the thing. We... Oh. We need so, to control ourselves. So the whole but- the whole thing of this at the end of the movie is that <laughs> Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy now have the crop report, and the crop report says yeah. there's going to be loads of oranges. It's going to be fine. You're going to be right. So sell, sell. So uh, yeah, they take all the money Eddie Murphy can get hold of. They take all the butler savings, um, all of Jamie Lee Curtis's money, and they go to the trading floor, which is phenomenal. It does not exist in this in this way anymore. 
They go to the trading floor. It's all telephones and cigarettes and cocaine and sweat. Um, and the idea is that they've got like a, when trading opens, they've got a small window when they know that the Randolphs, the, I keep saying the Randolphs, Randolph and Mortimer Duke are going to buy oranges because their report says that the harvest, the orange harvest is going to be really bad, which means that the price of the frozen orange juice, which is what we're buying, is going to be really high because, again, we want orange juice. There's still going to be a demand for orange juice, but there's no new oranges coming in. So the price is going to be sky high. So 192 or whatever it is they buy it at. And then I don't think we should, we don't need to explain. We don't need to get into the, into but, the specifics. But, but, but the idea is that what, what the Dukes are trying to do. Get these guys. What the Dukes are trying them. to do, based on the report, is they want to corner the market, like you said about the silver. They want to corner the market, which mean, by which I mean they want to own most of the orange, the frozen orange juice. Because that yeah. means that when the report comes out and says oranges are going to be in really short supply, that they can more or less set the price. They can say... So if they bought so, it at 190 they can then sell it at 240 They can because... sell it at 10 They can do what they want, Sam, because they own most of it. And people, and again, people need oranges. Yeah. So so I, like, I think this is a great ending to the film because I think what it does is it ties us back to the main part of the movie, which is the commodities and all this. And like, I don't think... I also actually don't really... Like, I don't think the film particularly explains what's going on that well and i kind of like it that way i kind of don't want to get into unless we've got Margot Margot robbie in a bathtub explaining, in a bath, explaining, explaining how frozen orange juice futures are sold specifically that just fucking just bewilder me bewilder me with this madness and all i need to know is at the end they get the margin call which is when they say you are the loser of this gambling madness and so you owe us 392 million dollars have a fucking heart attack right now and fuck you and i think like it's amazing it's so clever all we want is to watch these people squirm i do just i do just want to mention please stop talking about about fucking commodities training what are we doing just hear me out here what are we doing the genius thing that this movie does that we sort of explain (laughs) is that eddie murphy i love eddie murphy in this scene because he looks fucking vacant as shit and apparently he just couldn't get his head around commodities trading. That they'd explained it to him and explained it to him and explained it to him. And he said, just give me the script. I'll do what the script says, but I can't I, possibly yeah. understand what this is. Yeah. Um, I kind of know how he feels, Dave, to be honest. I'm, I, I know, but it's <laughs> it's so clever. And by clever, I mean it's, it's a scam. Sorry, I keep saying that. It just keeps coming out because it's a scam. So our heroes, they go in and they they win by selling... Uh, sorry, yeah, selling orange juice that they don't own um, on the margins. So selling futures that they don't yet own, which is perfectly normal and legal at the very beginning, at the high price to the Dukes. And then once the price crashes, they buy all of those futures back at a $1.22 um, profit per whatever so that they've broken even basically on the buying and selling they haven't done anything this they've is, just this is, literally they've this moved is the system. let's actually sam let's picture it if apples right so what i've done is i've come to your apple shop right i've i've said i'll sell you a hundred apples and you've gone cracking i'm so desperate for apples 
I'll have your 100 apples, right? Wait I've five minutes. Yeah, I know, yeah, Dave. In five minutes. what I'm going to do... I'm going to buy Dave. them back. When you're inundated with apples, I'm going to buy them back for a pittance, and then you'll owe me $200 for nothing. For, 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 for the five minutes that you own the apples at the wrong price. Yes, I think we're clear on... Well, I'm not exactly clear, but I think we understand the print. The what I'm trying to hit is the fact that I it's, know, I know. it's, it's so insane. invented and made up. And it's, it's great. Insane. And I think narratively it really works for the movie because we get the real moment of congratulations. We get the, the Dukes having a heart attack. And the guy who we met earlier at the restaurant is like, because he doesn't like them, is like, we're going to take your seats on the board. You're going to be fucking bankrupt. Like, you don't yeah. get to call the bank and you don't get a government bailout. They'd get a government bailout. Get a government you don't bailout. get a government bailout. You're broke. Get I'm, out. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. I think, again, the movie, this is where I wanted to be like the movie to be almost Eddie Murphy looking at the camera again and saying, this shit's insane. Like, this is real. Everything we have done is completely. Yeah, I've done some perfect. fucked up shit in my life, but this feels more illegal than that. This is real. Like, you know, Margot Robbie in a bath to explain to you how fucking insane this is. And maybe that's a problem, question mark. And we're like, the movie's not interested because we just ship off to, uh, you know, wherever they are. Now rich as hell. Problem solved. We can brush our hands off. We did off it. We did it. And we fucked it. And again, the movie's fine. The movie's fine. It's all, it wraps up nicely. I think Narratively, it, it works as a good end point of these guys are getting rich. The has got their come up and, and, and everything. And the whole thing, obviously we got rich, but it's, I think the message of the movie at the end is it's it's not about the journey, it's the friends we made along the way. I think that really yeah. is the point. Yeah. Um, and these, and these now, these now multi-millionaires are going to, you know, go around and exploit, they've already got a fucking butler and the, and things like, oh look, the butler's got a butler. Like we are just, it's still an 80s movie and we're not really thinking that hard. Yeah, it's you fine. Know, it's no cheesy, but I think, I think it works. It works, doesn't it? And and this is this is you know despite my deep deep disappointment of the train scene, which we just cut out of the movie. And I'm actually next time I watch this, I might just fast forward it because I don't need it in my life. You know, I think this is this is such a tight idea of a film, and like the origins of it, I think were the writer was had had two bro- was uh, played tennis with two brothers who were exactly like this. You know, maybe not quite as maniacal, but like it comes from a reality. That's why I think this film is, is so long-standing. I think it's a why it's a good morality tale at Christmas. Is it, it comes from, it comes from the actual fucking messed up world that we live in. And so when we have your forty-minute explanation of commodity trading, it's like because you can't get your fucking head around how stupid it is that we have based so much of our wealth building on this. And if I want to do it, that's great. I could go take my ten pounds and buy ten no, pounds of soybeans. But Sam. This is why it's a scam, because you do not have access to that. You are too poor. You don't know the right people. You don't have access to the free money exploit. And These just... rich people have access to the free money exploit because yeah. they've invented a system by which they can make free money by gambling on other people making free money. And just like they say in the movie, it doesn't matter who wins or loses. We get the commission. You know, and that's the fucking capitalist mo- mantra, isn't it? That's so why who wins, think... loses. We get the commission, and if we ever fuck up so badly that we implode the whole housing market and make thousands of people homeless, the government will bail us out. Literally, nothing will happen to us. We will face no consequences. 
whatsoever. Hey, Dave, we're anti-capitalist. And I think we have really kicked the arse out of uh, this bit. But would you like to do that some more? Yes, you would. Let's do it. Yes, that music can mean only one thing. It's the semi-relevant movie quiz. And I'm really pushing that title with these questions. The quiz where we try and stomp Dave uh, about 1983's well, trading. Quite, quite rightly, Places. Sam, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make some side bets with Ross about the outcome of this quiz so that I win either way. So either way, I get paid. Either way, you're going to win. And that's what's going to... And, and you know what, Dave? It's funny because actually... I'm only going to be quizzing you this week because uh, for unrelated reasons. But, you know, whoever wins, and it might be me, it might be you, but you're only going to win $1. That's all this thing's about, I'm afraid. Perfect. It's more than I usually win. (laughs) $1, yeah. About ATP. So there we go. So let's get into it now again. we This is a semi-relevant movie quiz, and this means that we don't have to talk about this movie at all if we don't want to. And so that's the prerogative that I have taken here. Which means that we're going to get to our first question, which is... We know, Dave, that the 1% have absolutely no regard for anyone else other than themselves. Even as the planet slowly cooks. But how much more carbon does a billionaire emit versus the average person? Is it 500 times more? Is it a million times more? Or is it 50 times more carbon than the average? A million times more, right? Are you sure? That's a pretty, no. it's, a, it's a wild guess. I mean, yes, I'm sure, I'm sure. So what's, why do you think it's a million? Why do you think it's too arbitrary? low. 50 is too low. Do you know how much fucking carbon a super yacht kicks out? A super yacht, yeah. Or a private it's jet. It's like 50 times, right? So me and 50 mates could get together and drive our cars around for 10,000 miles every year like most of the population do, mm-hmm. right? And that still wouldn't even touch on all of the private jets and space rockets and super yachts and oil refineries and fucking conflict diamond mines and fucking all sorts of shady shit that these cunts are up to it's a million times it's a million times more that is correct indeed a million times more because of all the very things you mentioned and uh, these fuckers have the that's astounding they have the gall. They have the gall to ask us to, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't drive places as much. Now I'm all up for not driving places if you don't need to, but also, I'm not emitting fucking private jet fumes, am I? Bastards. Yeah. Anyway, let's get angrier. Question two: The richest one percent own almost half, half of the world's wealth, but how much does the poorest half? of the world own is it a 2.5 percent is it b one percent or is it c 0.75 percent the poorest how many the poorest half so the richest half own 50 yeah, percent yeah. and the poorest half own uh 2.5 1 percent or 0.75 sorry repeat the question so the richest half own 50 percent the poorest own either 2.5, 1% or 0.75. I'm just confused at how we're defining this. The poorest what? Uh, so, well, like the poorest segment of society. Right, okay. 
which would be uh, probably something like forty percent of the world population. Two point five percent, one percent, or zero point seven five. Zero point seven five. Uh yes, it's that bad. So that's another point for you, Dave. You're doing very well. You're going to win this dollar. Uh, it's way worse than you expected, but also probably exactly what you thought as well. That's the problem, is it, with these fucking rich pricks? Dave, a history question. Are you excited? You love a bit of a history. Uh, only if I get it right. Well, let's see. The famous anti-capitalist slogan, Eat the Rich, originated from which historic social event? Is it the French Revolution, the Chartist Movement, or the Russian Revolution? Silence as he concentrates and tries to rack it's his not, brains. It's not, I, don't, I don't think it's the Russian Revolution. Um, could be, the it's are rich. Like, could we, could we could have a, a Russian translation? I, think, I of feel that. like the Chartist was religious. Um, the, no, no, the Chartist wasn't. The Chartist was a, a Victorian um, kind of like factory labor, workers. Yeah, kind of like working class reform. Um around like the, the Midlands they wanted voting and it's the French Revolution and it's because of the predominant nature of bread in French politics at Ooh. the time oh. and Marie Antoinette <laughs> famously said let them eat cake and that was because there was no bread because there used to be like bread was government subsidised and bread laws. quite highly regulated Absolutely. so you had to like you could be, you could go to prison for like putting too much additives of non, you know, sawdust and stuff in your bread, because it was really the government had a vested interest in making sure that people had enough to eat, so they didn't what actually a, what die a fucking, in what a their crazy idea. Jobs. Yeah, what a crazy exactly. We need we need the serfs so that I'm not going to say produce. so they had enough to eat, but so that they didn't literally die at work. Yeah, it's the exact same reason that we have the NHS now, is it? Because we need. We need the proletariat to uh, be functioning so that we can well use them until to we make get an American football. system where we've monetized that even further. Yeah, that we're so off off the chains. So here rather with than this. being, we'll have the NHS so that you can all stay alive to go to work. We'll say you can only have healthcare if you go to work. But what about the profit? There's money to be made, Dave. Anyway, you're right. So are we settling in on the French Revolution? French Revolution. That? It's always the French Revolution. The, French it's the OG. Revolution. Correct. Well done. I had a lot of knowledge on that. I could have gone deeper on my French. Well, I'm going to to give you a chance for a bonus point. I'm going to give you the full quote, which is, when the people shall have nothing to eat, they will eat the rich. Wonderful. Who said that, Dave, for a bonus point? If you don't know, it's fine. We'll just move on because I've laboured this as three totally unrelated anti-capitalist questions. It wasn't Robespierre. He was a kind of like an illiterate. No, he was psychopath. more. Yeah, more of a first wave French. Let's fucking just do something. Was it right, Descartes? I'm gonna, no. I'm going to give you five seconds. No, I don't know it. Rousseau, John Jack Rousseau. Oh, it wouldn't Google, have got that. No, you can Google him later. So, Dave, I think you got all three of those questions right, which means you get uh, one dollars and. Oh, sorry, you won the lottery. You get a. a Inexplicable escape from poverty. There we go. That's the end of the quiz. Congratulations. Just imagine going to sleep Not worrying about money.
Like, just imagine how much happier you would be if you just weren't worried about, like, unexpected bills. Oh, there's a brown envelope come through the door. I really hope that's not a letter demanding money from some, for, some, for something. This is a... Um, God, uh, yeah. I hope that rattle on my car isn't something that's going to cost me money I don't have. I know. God, I hope yeah. that cough isn't tuberculosis. I mean, I think you're slightly, slightly, uh, maybe like a hundred years out there with that problem. But I, hey, I think... some things change, Sam, and some things stay the same. COVID yeah, is out. the new tuberculosis. What, God, I hope out. that's not debilitating long COVID, which will affect my ability to work for months in the future. Shit. Well, and maybe therefore, I'll... put me on the streets. Don't worry though, because you do have a social safety. Oh no, that's gone. The safety net's gone. Everything's gone. And it's, it's gone. Fucked. It's gone. You know what? I have I I have so enjoyed this uh, delve into this movie and also the anti-capitalist uh, propaganda that we're now producing. Uh, it's not propaganda it, if it's just facts. If it's just true. It, I mean, literally, I've just read to you three facts. Three facts about how awful the the one percent are, and uh, I think hey, those are our ruling overlords. Put some respect in that voice. Put some respect, yeah, yeah. That's gonna. That'll fuck I remember it up. reading. I can't remember what the book was. It wasn't amazing. Where corporations had um, privatized government and and countries. Most and, science fiction, I would say. <laughs> Corp, corporal futurism. Yeah, and so if you didn't work for one of the big corporations, you basically had no access to healthcare or food or anything, and you basically lived in squalor. But it was to the point where your surname was the company you worked for. So you might Amazing. be like Sam Adidas. Exxon. Because that's who you worked for. And then that, like, that's that's your identity. That's your, like, you know, a mad. Yeah, I think... Just, well, I four think, to five years from now, corporations will start owning people outright. I, I think we just, we have to, I think we should get reading uh, on our, up on our marks and really just making sure we're fully aware of how to make molotov cocktails i think we're so close to the end times that you know be prepared be prepared because otherwise when the witch try and fight back you're not gonna be able to do it you know you're not gonna be able to resist in a way that we need to because we need you brothers and sisters we need you to fight the evil capitalists it's gonna happen so be ready yeah. and don't don't forget the only thing you have to lose is your chains <laughs> thanks for thanks for listening this episode brought to you by Exxon Mobil Exxon Mobil <laughs> Exxon Mobil cleaning the seeds for future generations <laughs>